Hello, Dark Valley listeners. This is Jennifer Amell bringing you part two of my epic conversation with Jane Borowski and her co-hosts on Invisible Tears, Amanda and Drew Bedard. If you haven't listened to part one, I suggest going back to listen to that first, because otherwise you'll be a little confused. In this second and final part, Jane and Amanda tell us how they banded together with other New Hampshire families of the missing and murdered to stage a demonstration in front of the Attorney General's office. We get the most up-to-date information on Jane's case, and you'll get to hear our favorite behind-the-scenes moments from the production of Dark Valley. Additionally, we are trying to raise money for Bernice Cordemosh's headstone. You can go to the links in the show notes. Uh, You can donate via GoFundMe. Or we're also auctioning off a painting by none other than my own mother, Pamela Robinson, who coincidentally also designed the logo for Dark Valley. So we're opening bids on November 1st and closing them November 8th, culminating in a virtual live broadcast with myself, with Jane, with Amanda, with Drew, and with Crawlspace Media's Tim Polari and Lance Reinsterna. That's going to be on November 8th on Crawlspace Podcast's YouTube channel, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And last note, if you have not listened to Invisible Tears, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you love Jane, go on over and give them a five-star review. All right. I hope you enjoy. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Thank you for listening. Now, back to the show. So, Jane, talking about like good things that have come out of this process of us all getting to know each other and being introduced to other people, other victims, family members. Can you tell me what you helped create this year? Oh, my gosh. And and Amanda and Drew. Amanda and I went to Maura Mori's vigil back in April, was it? Uh, February. February. Uh, we were invited by Julie. Uh, felt very honored uh, to be there. Uh, so we went to the vigil and the three of us started talking and Fred and uh, we decided that, you know what, we need to make some noise up at the uh, AG office uh, because we felt like we were being treated the same way. I I was being treated the same way 
as uh, Maura's family was um, with, um, you know, lack of communication and just no um, return phone calls or just being brushed off and, and felt like that our cases really weren't being looked at. Maura's case wasn't moving forward. So we got together and I decided to contact Trish Haynes' family. Trish Haynes was murdered five years ago and everybody knows who killed her, but the two people that killed her, they still have not been charged for her murder yet, which is baffling to, to us. So we, I, me and Amanda contacted Trish Haynes' um, advocates, uh, her aunt and, and her advocate, uh, Chloe, and we formed this coalition and decided we were going to do this march up to the AG office to let them know that, you know, this is not okay. Uh, there's um, uh, procedures that needed to be changed. We all had our own individual complaints uh, about the AG office. We formed this coalition and we had this big march and in all. August up to the AG office and in New Hampshire, in Concord, New Hampshire. And oh my God, it was huge. <laughs> we expected supporters to come out to support us. But what we ended up seeing was several other family members of murdered, uh, missing and murdered um, victims that were unsolved victims' cases that were unsolved back 20, 30 years ago. Um, these families were there holding their loved ones' pictures, and a few of them got up to the podium and spoke, and it was amazing, it, the, the outpour of support, and also the, the others that had shown up to share their anger and um, their concerns and how they felt like their loved one was being forgotten, that they felt like the cold case unit and the AG's office could do more. And it was amazing. It was like so amazing. I was, I, I couldn't believe the, the, um, the amount of people that were there and, and who was there, you know, most importantly, who was there. Didn't realize that we were going to connect so many other people that had the same grievances as ours. It was very emotional for me. Poor Andrew. I'm standing beside Andrew and like the whole time that we got there and we got set up and it was just like I was talking to this person and this person and this person and I was talking to so many people and uh, me and Andrew were standing there and all of a sudden I just looked up and I saw like this whole half moon of people standing, um, you know, around us holding their loved ones pictures and it, it hit me like a brick wall holy crap and <laughs> i poor andrew standing there and i just broke down and lost it and i had a real emotional <laughs> moment and i was like oh my god andrew look what we did look what we did and it was just um it, it was just so uh it was incredible uh, it's all I can say. Yep. The line you said when you started, when you broke down, you just went, I thought I was the only one. And that was when it really hit home with, you are not the only one that's been through this. Everybody else. Yep. 
Yeah, that's that's right. That's that is what I said. I I thought I was the only one, and and I wasn't the only one that had a grievance or or felt like I was being forgotten or the Connecticut River Valley cases, for that fact, were forgotten. That's amazing. You could really feel the energy there too. I mean, it had this very and I don't know if this is a weird word to describe it, but like a very feminine energy. It was like very comforting, supportive, like encompassing, like supporting each other. Oh, there was some yelling and there was some people were definitely expressing their frustration for good reason. The things that they were saying, they, they had every right to say. And I'm sure they've wanted to say a lot of those things for a lot of years and and just didn't know. And we got so many thank yous for putting that together. Uh, you know, people were like, finally, somebody, you know, this was some, something like this was brought to their attention and it needed to be. The cold case unit needs improvement and the advocacy program up at the AG office in Concord is broke. But I got some updates. <laughs> yes, yes. Please let me know. I don't even know this. Well, shortly after the march, a state trooper, which is a detective from Keene, New Hampshire, contacted me, Troop C. He said, I want to schedule a meeting. Well, that was after you had contacted him, too, a couple of times and said, you know, you owe Jane a meeting. Uh, it was shortly after that he contacted me. I think it was September. Like It was only a few weeks. And scheduled a meeting with me and my daughter uh, at the barracks in Keene. And there was another gentleman there with him. And uh, it was great. Uh, it was a two-hour meeting. I'm not going to say too, too much about this. It's, it's kind of, you know, there is a person of interest my case is being actively investigated. There is a person of interest. Officer McLaughlin gets kind of excited about talking about some of this stuff with this person. Again, I'm like listening with an open mind. You know, gotta show me proof. I need rock solid proof. And and he's working on it. But he... um assured me that, you know, I wasn't forgotten. Uh, he's actually been looking at my case for the past five years off and on. Uh, now, I got to I gotta also say that he's not actively working on my case full time. He does as time allows him to. But he, he is he, he's come up with a lot of stuff. He has done his I mean, this man is not just gone online and Googled stuff. <laughs> he has physically gone in, in two places to investigate certain things about, about this individual. So that was really impressive to me. You know, he's doing the footwork. It, it, was, a, it was a great, great meeting. I mean, me and Jessica walked out and uh, we just both looked at each other, both simultaneously. We're like, wow. What a meeting. It was um, It was really good. He gave me his card, gave me his cell phone number. He's like, the only thing I ask is 
don't call me after 10 o'clock at night or my wife will beat the crap out of me. And <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Sergio McLaughlin, are you in an abusive relationship? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I have access to him anytime I want, anytime I want to ask a question. Uh, I can message him. I can email him. I can call him. I can. I have all access to him. Uh, he definitely gets back to me. It, it was a very good meeting. I I hadn't felt that good about them investigating my case in a long time, long time. And then out of the clear blue, Miles Matson from the AG office up in Concord calls me the other day. <laughs> wanted to know how things were going. Uh, wanted to know, um, you know. I, I obviously told him that I had the meeting with Officer McLaughlin, uh, told him that went. I was very pleased with the way that went. He was happy about that. I, I said, okay, the advocacy part of me is going to come out. I want to know, have you been meeting with other families? I want to know that other families have been contacted. They have been scheduling meetings with them and, he has had several meetings with several families uh, and he has several more meetings set up with families uh, in the next two months or three months. The communication he believes has improved. They've been very trying to be very vigilant with um, uh, responding to emails more quickly. If somebody calls and they leave a voicemail, they've been making phone calls back fairly quickly. They've been answering questions. That was really good. I asked about the advocates in the office. He said right now, everybody that has come in, they have offered everybody an advocate. Some people have refused, which is fine. They just prefer to contact the AG office directly. Um, they're aware of those families that do not want to go through the, the advocate, uh, and they're fine with that. So they know who they are so that they can you know, if they try to contact them directly, they get right back to them. The AG office does not an advocate. Uh, so that was that was really good to hear. I was very pleased with that. Although I did inform him that, you know, we're going to be on top of that. And, and I, I can't believe that, you know, things had changed that quickly in the advocate, at least in the advocate part of the office. And I I did say, you know, I, I'm sure things are still going to be improving with the advocacy program. And and he assured me that they're working on it. And, and I also <laughs> <laughs> somebody's listening to our podcast up there because I said, well, I went to a crime con convention and he says, I heard. <laughs> And so that oh, was yeah, I released our panel. Huh? I said I released our panel too. Did you? So I said, um, you know, we've been we talked an enormous amount of conversation about uh with others about genealogy DNA. And I said, I want to make sure um, you know, are you guys using this? Are you guys keeping it up to date with forensics? Are you guys, you know, are are you guys going into older cases and trying to use this? And and he actually said to me, he says, yes. And and before I could even say, you know, can't use the excuse with, you know, no funding or anything. He said that they've actually 
received grant money for this. Recently? I don't know recently. Didn't he tell you, Jane, it was for two years they've been doing this? So it had to have been that timing. Yeah. If you call that recent. Yeah. In the past couple of years. Yeah. He said in the past couple of years, they they have been receiving funding, some kind of grant money for this, for the testing. So I was like, wow, okay, that's that's awesome. So I assured him that he will see us again up there. And, you know, he kind of he kind of made me cry because he was like he was before we ended our conversation. He said, Jane, I see I cannot say it without crying. He said, Jane, I just want to reassure you. We listened and we heard you guys up there loud and clear. It's been a long journey to hear those words. It has been. It has been. You know, and he was one of the ones that stood outside the whole flipping day and listened to everybody. He listened to everybody. He gave everybody time to speak with him. He he even had some, I mean, he, people were hot and they were, uh, expressing, you know, their their anger, and there was some yelling towards him. And but he realized that you know these people want to be heard, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to hear them for the whole day. And he was he was there the whole day. That meant a lot, you know. That meant a lot. If anybody's wondering who Miles Matson actually is, he is the chief. Criminal Justice Bureau, Senior Assistant Attorney General up in Concord, New Hampshire. And so in preparation for our event in our March that we scheduled in August, I had reached out directly to Attorney General John Formella's office and had actually been redirected to Miles himself. Before the event, Miles and I actually had a very good phone conversation before the event All I wanted to do was simply introduce our coalition to him, make him understand uh, what was being formed and why and who the individuals were. I sort of took the reins on doing that communication into the AG office because I knew I had the least known name up there between all of the people within our group. I I thought I might get a little bit further and actually be able to have conversations. and, And luckily, I was able to. Long story short, um, so Miles himself and also the Department of Justice Director of Communications, Michael Garrity, ended up showing up to our event. We weren't positive that they were going to, but they did right, right at the beginning of the event and actually introduced themselves and not only attended the entire event and listened to everyone, they spoke with everyone that wanted to speak with them afterwards, which we really, really appreciated. Yeah. And I want to be clear, like you guys weren't trying to draw blood from a stone. You weren't saying like solve our cases already because, you know, that's hard stuff. What you were asking for was communication and, you know, the programming that they promised by law. Yeah. Show us some humility and some passion. Knowing that, you know, these were families of loved ones that have been missing or murdered. That's all that we were all asking for, you know. Yeah, and just, you know, watching this whole thing play out, Miles Madsen, and who's the other guy? Garrett, Garrity? Yep, Michael Garrity. Michael Garrity. They both stood there with such decorum. And then, you know, people were angry. They did have, you know, 
you know, choice words for the AG, rightfully so. And they didn't yell back. They didn't get angry. They just absorbed it like consummate professionals and then followed up, like you said. Yeah, they didn't leave. They didn't walk away. And yeah, the only one that got defensive was the local oh reporter. God, okay. uh, yeah, what outfit was he with? Concord Monitor. Concord Monitor. Yeah. Oh, what a douchebag. Pardon my German. He was a douchebag, and I will never do another interview with him again, ever. Uh, but yeah, how dare that guy speak to victims the way he was? Like, that ire should have been reserved for the AG. Stand right there and argue. Like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, I forget who said it. It was like, this isn't your show. This is not about you. Yeah, and there was quite a few other reporters were, like, telling him to shut up. How did you feel about that? The, the march. Are you asking me? I am. You were there. Yes. You and Tim and Lance. Yeah. Me and Tim and Lance, Crawl Space Media, were there to help you guys document it. Because um, I know, Drew, you are putting a project together. I don't know if you've announced anything. Not still a work in progress. Um, but yep. Yeah, but we, between our two teams, we, you know, gathered a lot of great footage. And yeah, I mean, the, the energy was palpable. I, I didn't want to like get involved too much. Uh, Julie Murray and I have spoken a lot over you know the last few months, um, and that was actually the first time that we met in person. So it's really nice to meet her in person and get to meet uh, you know her brother. Oh, I I want to mention Heidi Martin's best friend attended kind of like sneakily. She's just there to show her support for you, Jane. But yeah, I mean it. I came away thinking like, oh my goodness. The power in numbers and to know that you have support can create real change. And I was watching it unfold and I, I just couldn't be prouder of you all. Well, thank you, Jen. Thank you. And for any listeners that do actually want to see the um, rally that we're talking about, you can actually find it on Invisible Tears' uh, YouTube channel. Um, we did put out the entire um, speaking engagement out there in full. Yeah, actually, all the all the podium remarks are out there. So we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Thank you for listening. Now, back to the show. Speaking of advocacy, another thing that we've been discussing for so, so long, um, and even, I think, talked about in Dark Valley proper, I know you guys mentioned it in Invisible Tears, uh, but just as a little bit of background, uh, myself, Jane, and Amanda went to go pay our respects at as many graves of victims as we could find and travel to in due time. Uh, and we went to Bernice Cordemash's grave. She was only 17 when she was abducted and murdered. Uh, and when we got there, it was, it was it was quite shocking, quite quite saddening that she didn't have a gravestone. She didn't have a permanent marker. It was just this plastic piece 
in the ground. It was overgrown. It just looked like she hadn't been visited in a while. And I, I, Jane, I'd love for you to sort of talk about your reaction to. I think my first reaction was shock. And my second reaction was pissed off. And then it was sad. I was so sad uh, for her. You know, this was a girl that was 17 years old, murdered in the 80s in a small community back then. Obviously, her family did not have a whole lot of money. They still had to pay for her funeral. But what, what was shocking to me is that a community small like that didn't come together and and buy her stone, a marker, a, a plate, a, anything, like anything. It was like she was put in the ground and just forgotten by the community. It was sad, but yet I, I was so angry about it, like so angry. And uh, we had had some conversations sitting there and we actually drove over on the other side of the cemetery because I just couldn't even I couldn't look at it anymore. You know, I, I expected to go there, pay my respects to her, talk to her a little bit, you know, and feel a little bit of, um, you know, peace or something. And I left that place pissed off and angry and disappointed. And by no means do I, is any of this directed to her family? By no means. I think it was more towards the community. So we uh, had talked about this for quite a while, about raising money and getting Bernice a stone. And so um, my daughter and I, went to the stone place in Newport a few months ago, just before crime con, we had him make up a, uh, a mock-up of the stone. Uh, he gave us a price and, um, we're going to try to raise the money for her stone. I've had a lot of people after they listened to that episode say, how, where can we donate? What can we do to help? I want to help get her a stone too. So, um, Jen, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we all, um, you know, have been talking about this for a while. We would love to get her that proper stone. I think it's going to read her name, date of birth, date of death, um, and never forgotten. Never forgotten. And it's going to have two little butterflies on the corners, top corners. Um, it's, it's not a large stone, but it's a good size stone. The stone is, uh, all set and everything, $2,500. Yes. Okay. So we need your help listeners. And we're going to blast this out on social media. Hopefully you guys will say something on invisible tears or on your socials. Um, so we are raising money where we need to raise that $2,500. So, the way I organize this is that there are two ways to give to this cause. For one of them, I have a GoFundMe page, which I'll link in the show notes where you can donate anything you're able to. And then there's another way to donate, which I think is exciting, <laughs> or at least it is for me. Uh, but my, my mother is a painter and an artist. 
She actually designed the logo that you're probably looking at right now on your phones. Uh, that logo for Dark Valley with the butterflies coming out. And Invisible Tears. And Invisible Tears. Oh, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> She's been a busy bee. Uh, but she she is a, like a fine artist. Um, and she has done this mixed media painting inspired by your story, Jane, Bernice's story, and the stories of the other women affected by the Connecticut River Rally cases. It was not a plan of hers. Uh, and she was listening to Dark Valley. And this is the painting she made. It was unconscious. It just kind of came out of her. And she's like, look what I made. I made a painting based on, on these people because uh, she felt close to you in some way. So it's a beautiful piece. It's an abstract mixed media, which means like there's paint, there's India ink, there's pieces of magazines that are torn out. Um, I think it's a really cool piece um, that people will be would maybe love to have in their homes. A little, little piece of, you know, all of our hearts <laughs> uh, in this piece of art. But so we are holding an auction to bid on this painting. The highest bid will win the painting. We'll cover any kind of shipping costs. Uh, but that auction is going to be open from November 1st in the morning to November 8th at 10 p.m. It closes. Again, that's open from November 1st to November 8th at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then along with that, uh, we decided that we're going to host a virtual live uh, via our Crawl Space Media YouTube channel, where we're just going to have like everybody gather who wants to like be in the same space. Of course, you all are invited to participate. Uh, Tim will be there. Lance will be there from Crawl Space Media. Uh, and we want to see the, the last, I guess, kind of hour or so of this auction take off and, and get to celebrate with everybody. It's like, did we meet our, our goal? to get this headstone. So that is going to be on November 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And that will be on the Crawl Space Podcast YouTube channel. November 8th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. <laughs> we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. It's also going to be on darkbellyshow.com. I hope people participate. Yeah, and we'll put it on our Facebook page and and uh, make sure it gets out there so everybody knows about it. Amazing. Thank you, guys. All right. Any closing remarks? I just got to say, Jen, you just, um, the way that you made Dark Valley so victim-focused was so appreciated. And the way you told their stories, and you, you did it with such compassion. And never mind that the journal the, the investigative journalism uh, aspect of it all, just absolutely amazing. You are you are so talented, and uh, I was so I was so glad. I'm so happy and glad that I was and honored that I was able to be a part of this project with you. We'll never forget it. We forgot to talk about the uh, the one part of the whole. Uh, our, our journey together up to Claremont that we forgot to, that uh, was most memorable. <laughs> yes. Okay. Favorite memory or most memorable, I guess is a better way to put it at a production. <laughs> what is that moment? Go ahead, Amanda. 
<laughs> you were there. The creepy road that we were the creepy private road that we were driving on that was posted repeatedly with smile. You're on camera. Um, it was when we were attempting to find where um, Bernice was found. And then when we ended up at the end of the road and saw signs riddled with bullets um, and heard warning shots, um, I just remember thinking we were, you know, obviously we were out there, we were doing field work and we we're attempting to capture media while we were on one side of capturing media. All I thought to myself was we are actually going to become another case in a story while we're in this process. And that was something I didn't expect. It was very exciting. I was like, what kind of production am I running here where I take the only survivor and her best friend into the woods. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was the most memorable for me. But I think my favorite, my favorite part was when we were standing at the bridge um, where we believe that Ellen Freed was found and those butterflies flying around us. Yes, that was really That memorable. was just so... Yeah, it really was. They just kept flying around us. Yeah, that wasn't a production trick at all. That happened in real time. <laughs> yeah, it did. How about you? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about that was like really um, powerful and maybe eerie at the same time uh, is when Jane, you and I went to Heidi Martin's grave wow. uh, to pay our respects. We parked there and we're like, oh, my God, this graveyard, this cemetery is humongous. <laughs> it's going to take us nine years to find Heidi's gravestone. And I was like, all right, Jane, like you and I should split up. You take that side. I take this side. And like maybe five minutes. Oh, not passed. even. Not even. Well, enough for us to get pretty far apart because you had went in the opposite direction, like uh, like down a hill or whatever. You... Or started yelling. <laughs> I think maybe you were trying to call me, but I was—I didn't have my phone with yeah. me. Yeah, yep, I did. E Tell me what happened. I came around the corner, and then the the cemetery went up a hill, a big hill, like a drivable hill. There was actually roads that drive up the hill, and I I looked and I was like, oh my god, there's so many, and I just kept walking, and I'm like. Heidi, will you please help me find you? And for some reason, I just shot across this one part of the cemetery. And all of a sudden, all I saw was a big stone that said Heidi Martin. It was, a, it was like I didn't even see any other stone. It was like she brought me right to her stone within two minutes, three minutes it's something like that. It was crazy. And she was like almost to the top of that hill. And I just was like, Oh my God, <laughs> Jen, Jen. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. That was, that was pretty powerful. Yeah. And it was powerful standing at her grave and like thinking of her. And it was like a movie, like this, like murder of crows flew or like, caca, it was snow on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really powerful experience. Uh, that's that was a good memory of mine. 
Yeah, so many good moments, though. I mean, I loved you inviting me to your home and getting to meet your husband and your daughter and your granddaughter. Uh, that was having fun. some beers and pizza. That was that was really cool. Yeah, that was fun. Or how about when we went to the library and the guy gave us that book? <laughs> that was cool, too. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, that'll save us some time. And we're still there for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy crap. <laughs> that thing was amazing. So many good. There was so many good times and good moments. Mm -hmm. uh, memorable moments. Uh, you know, I'll never forget. It, it was uh it was a weekend uh cram packed of stuff that I've wanted to do for years. I never did and and I'm so glad I was able to do it with you and and Amanda, my two favorites oh. with doing this project. I just, um, I, I, I'm so grateful that I was able to do it with you guys. Me too. Literally could not have done this without you both. Jane, Amanda, Drew, I love you guys so much. Thank you for joining me today. We love you. Oh, we love you too. And thank you. And we're so proud of you. Mm -hmm.